movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 119, I believe, 119. Uh, there's a certain trailer that came out this week that we'll be discussing that got us thinking, why do we love bad guys so much? And if we had to rank them or like pick our personal favorites, what would we say is our top 10 favorite villains of all time? That's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm really excited. I like bad guys. I uh, always like the heroes more, but a hero is only as good as his greatest rival. Speaking of greatest rivals, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> what a transition. I, I hope I'm, I'm the not king of this. Your, yeah, I hope I'm not on your top 10 list, by the way. That'd be awful. Oh, no, you're oh. not even in my league. Oh, okay. That's there, there. There it is. Yeah, I'm still amateur hour. Goodness, buddy. Thank you so much for having me back on. This is going to be a great topic this week. I have. I'm actually been really, really looking forward to this. On top of you know the fact that I always look forward to being on here, of course. But awesome, man. This is going to be a phenomenal show tonight. I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, you will be glad you've tuned in. So. Before we get into anything else, I set this up for Michael, but I didn't post anything to social media because I wanted to surprise the rest of you at home. Exclusive to the Uncharted Media Podcast, we have a major announcement. This Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, pitching a Nightwing movie. It is done. It is exported. It is completed. I showed it to Heather because it's completed. She absolutely loved it. She's got bias, obviously, and we've got Michael over here. I cut away at the wrong time as he's dabbing now. I wish uh, I could take that back. <laughs> this is great news, buddy. I'm so happy. I I mean, obviously, I could neither confirm nor deny that this was happening, but, oh, I cannot wait. I'm going to be – I have some company over on Friday, and I'm going to sit down with some food, and we're going to watch it. I, it's Fantastic. going to be – great i can't seriously man i know how hard you you put you put work into these things and i know how much effort you put into them as well like this this is something that i hope and i I pray even that people take the time to reward you with that because uh, listen i'm i am so far out of your league in in all seriousness your content the way you envision things how you can piece in pieces of information and you put them together and you give this guesstimate on, on certain things like, Hey, I think this is going to happen. And then it happens. It's like, wait a minute. Are you like secretly on Reddit and have an inside source or something? Like, I, I don't know, but seriously, after your fantastic four pitch, I'm like, let's go. I want to see more of this guy. So I don't want to hype so much. I don't want to hype it up too much, but just rewatching it. Like now that it's all sat, I'm all sat back and I've watched it in completion. Like, this is so much of a step up from the Fantastic Four one. Like, I'm still proud of what I did with the Fantastic Four one, but I think this is significantly better in terms of a cohesive and tighter narrative, um, editing choices. Just, I'm really, really proud of how it turned out. Um, So, to keep up with the sneak peeks, Michael, I'll let you ask two questions about the project. Uh, Any two questions, uh, so long as you're not anything spoilers, I'll answer them. To give us a little tease for Friday. Okay, so I want to know, how long is the video? 20 minutes, 35 seconds. Oh, that's awesome because, like, that's, like, a great, for me, that's a great, like, either documentary length or it, it's just enough. It's, like, it's not it's not so long that it's, like, you have to invest so much time into, like, you know, you're not watching an episode of television, but it's not just thrown together. It's thoughtful, and that's what I loved about 
your Fantastic Four one is that it was it hit that sweet spot of like this is content that deserves to be this long but doesn't overstay its welcome. I'll say so that that's really encouraged to me. I, I hope that that's a good question because I, I like I like the philosophy that goes in behind that. So I guess is that's the first question one versus and that's question one then one a regard in regards to the time length of this. Uh, what led to the decision of making it like twenty minutes? Was that like purposed? Uh, no, not particularly. It was just, I had my set narrative. I've got my intro and my outro, uh, without the intro and outro, it's like 18 and a half minutes. So it's mainly just the video. I try not to talk too much at the beginning and too much at the end. It's more or less just how long the story was. I didn't try and overstay its welcome. It's tight, compact, but I think the pacing flows really well. I, I like to believe that it doesn't drag at any parts, um, but I don't speed through important character moments as well. And then, um, I guess when you say this is a step up above, if I was interviewing you, saying, "All right, this is exclusive content," what particular aspect are you most proud of? And and if someone was just watching the first one and then watching this one, what's the biggest thing the average viewer is going to notice about the production quality? I have diligently sought out and done my homework as best as I can to find things that match up with each corresponding scene. Like, I think the visuals of this will match the narrative incredibly well, given that it's a character that there's not a lot of material to work with from a live-action standpoint. So, uh, I'll say it now. Everything in this is animated. There's Because that's it's easier to find animated source material than live-action material, in which case there's only ever been, like, two live-action Dick Graysons with Chris O'Donnell and Brenton Thwaites currently on Titans. There's a lot more animated content to currently pull from. Um, I think there's much more video and corresponding comic content to line up with the story as opposed to Fantastic Four, in which case I had to pull in a lot of comic-related content because there wasn't a whole lot of Fantastic Four material. I think there's a lot of good... I really, really tried to do my homework as best as I could of this is what's happening in the scene. Let's try and find something. Even if it's not from a Nightwing scene, make it look like it's a Nightwing scene. My goal with this video is to make it you don't know if this was all from one movie or if I pulled pieces from this movie, this movie, this movie, this movie. You just see the story that's being told. Oh, that's great. That That's fantastic news to hear because that, that, that is what truly does separate, I think, certain elements of, of certain videos and, and content creators is how well they can piece that audio and visual together. And, you know, going back and watching some, some of my old subs on, on YouTube, their older videos, it is astounding how, how far some people uh, go in just a couple of years. And it's based on feedback from other people and their own self-critique. So, man, gosh. And so, one more time, for those listening, what time this Friday? It will be dropping at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So, I believe for your time zone, it'll be like 5-ish. Um, so, yeah, 6 p.m. Eastern time, Friday night, this Friday. Um, last thing I'll say on it before we get move on, I'm also proud of the fact that Every character in this has a purpose. There's not a single character that's only in this for one scene just as like a fan service. There's a logical reason why everyone's in here for some reason or another. There's not just like a quick cameo for something. Everyone has a reason to be there. It's at least a two scene minimum for basically every character. 
if you see somebody they will come back into the story somehow and i like to think it was tied in well you didn't happen to slip in a cameo for me did you by chance uh i'll just have to wait and find out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, besides the teaser that I put on Facebook a little bit ago about him meeting a special friend in the diner, um, okay. Besides that, I can neither confirm nor deny. I will, right. I will confirm an exclusive. There is no Batman in my story, mm. at all. Okay, all right. That's kind of big. Don't go I mean... in. Don't go in expecting to see Batman at all in this. Just saying. All right. That's good because it, there's, I mean, from my understanding, there's not supposed to be one, right? This is supposed to be its independent, like. Yeah, it kind of like depends on the story. story. Yeah, it kind of okay. depends. Uh, sometimes right. Batman's there, sometimes he's not. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, I would, for me, that's good news because being able to introduce somebody without having this crutch over here, which is something you know we've seen in this particular space all the time, and so I mean, and not all the time is it is it a dis you know is it a disadvantage, but You'd like to be able to think that certain people can stand by themselves. It doesn't have to rely on pre-existing material or a beloved character that's come before. Like, what happens if you just tell a good story? <laughs> what's going to happen? And that's what I tried to do with this. We're going to get at least at least some backstory about the character, but you can go into this not knowing anything about Dick Grayson at all, I would like to believe. Um, he doesn't stand on the crutch of Batman. He doesn't stand on the crutch of anything else. I wanted to make this a narrative about the character, like you're going in cold turkey, like Shazam or something. You can go into that not knowing Shazam at all. I wanted to do the same thing here. Um, Well, in between editing, I have been watching some stuff. One in particular, based off the suggestion of Michael, I finally got around to watching True Lies. I liked it for the most part. I thought Tom Arnold as the sidekick was fantastic. He was like the funniest thing about it. I will say, though, it drags in the middle. like Oh, it does. The whole part where Jamie Lee Curtis thinks he's having an affair, that just dragged so long for me. Like It definitely redeemed itself by the end, but I was like, okay, can we get back to the fun humor at the beginning? Because like, at the beginning, I was just on it. It was, it was great. And then it kind of drags itself out in that middle section there. Yeah, I, and that's the one thing that for me I had forgotten how slow it was, and it's just weird because it feels like it's from another movie. Like the beginning, middle, and feel like from three different films to be honest. Because the first is like, oh hey, we've got this dice field, these these two guys, this this spy by night, and this, this I guess slew of a husband uh, by day type of like what uh, market or well, I don't I can't remember what exactly is like a phone phone analyst or salesman phone yeah salesman. like a computer technician or something yeah. And then you have this like rom- romantic, kind of like this confrontational romance story, and then you have this, I mean, over the top, like over the top doesn't even begin to describe like the end of this movie. If you showed the end and the beginning of these movies, the, this movie together, you would think they're from two different films in a in a way. Like, yeah. okay, look, Arnold Schwarzenegger's with uh, really cheesy action, but I mean, the fact that they bring in Harriers and they blow up the bridge. And the fact that the guy uh, is fired on on a missile through the building, like you're fired. What I should have done, what I should have done, is before you watch this, I said, "Here's all you need to know: Arnold Schwarzenegger re- chases a villain through a building on, on a, a horse. horse, and then proceeds to race him up an elevator with him on a horse." And that's all I needed to say. Horse is that, for like, MVP. The horse was the yeah. the horse was the real star of that movie. 
Yes, he is. Yes, yes, they are. He, she. I don't. I don't care. But yes, the movie is is pinnacle '90s. It, it, I mean, everything about it screams '90s action, and that's why I love it so much. It definitely drags in the middle, though. Like, yeah, it, it's good. Definitely some good quips. There's definitely some really well written dialogue. However, I will say it wasn't the best thing I've watched recently. Uh, in my quest to get caught up to speed with all things I need to for Godzilla vs. Kong, I watched the original Godzilla movie. Oh, I wow. loved it. It was so good. Um, comparing the original Kong to the original Godzilla, Godzilla blows it out of the water. It's a lot like, like a Halloween or a Jaws in that you don't see a lot of Godzilla. It's mainly, what does this do to a population that's been destroyed? They're not subtle with their Hiroshima... Um, allegory there like i'd always heard godzilla was a metaphor for hiroshima but i was just like okay is it subtle no it is not very subtle um (laughs) but like the performances were really really good and the story around it was excellent like i was not expecting it to be as good as it was because i kind of went into it expecting just cheesy big monster action and i think that's the sequels um but yeah the original godzilla i actually really really enjoyed so i'm debating what i'll do next of like godzilla versus kong go back to Kong and do like the seventies or the Peter Jackson remake or some of the other Godzilla sequels that came out. There's a lot of things I need to get caught up on before Godzilla versus Kong comes out. But as for the original, I really like the original Godzilla quite a bit. I'm really glad that you did. I'm glad that you would, you would go back and actually watch that. Remind for the viewers, like what year that came out? 54. 54. Okay. So yeah, for a lot of people, our age aren't watching, you know, films from seven, almost 70 years ago. So I'm glad. I'm glad that you could appreciate it. I, I'm almost wondering if it wouldn't be interesting just because all of this is lunacy. I mean, look at, I mean, we're talking about a giant monkey versus a giant lizard. What if you bookend each of your viewings? You started old and then came back and did the most recent and then just kept going until you met in the middle. Like, why not start and go with 2005? Weird. Yeah, it would be weird. But I, I think that'd be a cool way of going way back to the past than to the just the recent past. Uh, I think that'd be an w- interesting way of watching it. Why it's not? like the Halloween franchise of like it's a choose your own adventure story of how you want to watch these of like, yeah, like the Halloween movies of like, do you want to watch Laurie Strode saga? Watch one, two, H two O, and then twenty eighteen. Do you not like Laurie Strode as much? Watch one, four, five, and six. Um, but this is like, do I watch all the King Kongs in a row? Do I watch all the Godzillas in a row? Well, I don't know. There's just a lot that I need to catch up on. Because sooner or later, y'all will be able to watch Godzilla vs. Kong in the theater. Mm. Because one of the last major holdouts when it comes to the theatrical experience lately, uh, due to many safety concerns, was the state of New York. And uh, Governor? I'm really that far out of the political sphere. Uh, I think it's Governor Cuomo was more or less keeping a lot of the state locked down. Well, now he has lifted restrictions on movie theaters, saying that they will be open in New York starting March 5th with 25% capacity. Yes. Okay, I don't live in New York, um, but this is a huge deal because New York and California were the last major holdouts um, for opening theaters. And a lot of movie theaters themselves were going, uh, a lot of movie studios we're saying we are not going to release our movies until New York and California open because they're two of our biggest markets. Um, it would be like you going out to play a baseball game, but you're missing your two best hitters. You're not really going to stand a chance. So 
having this market back open, I think, is the first real glimmer of hope of stability again. Notice is coming just in time for some March releases with Godzilla vs. Kong. Um, I feel like there's another... Oh, Raya and the Last Dragon. So there are some things in the theater to come back to. Uh, this also comes back to Regal has not reopened yet. But they've said we're hoping to open sometime in March depending on New York and California. They've explicitly stated that they will not open until New York and California reopen. So having this... I don't think California is far behind. I think when we come to it this time next week, California theaters will at least be announced to be opening sometime soon. Um, Michael, I know you don't live in New York either, but you see New York theaters opening. Is this a glimmer of hope? You think this is premature? What do you think? This is a glimmer of hope. I think this is the first domino that needed to fall, and I think all the rest of them subsequently will do so. Uh, this is huge news. They've been holding out for a reason. I've always listen. I've I felt like, in, in certain aspects, I've been a little more positive, a little more hopeful than you have. I mean, you've been. I, I would say been taking the more realistic approach to all of this. I, for no no rhyme or reason, have just remained optimistic about this the entire time. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm not calling myself a prophet by no means. I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't tell you. I'm thinking everything's going to be okay. I, I truly believe that. It's just we're going to have to get through this. Uh, now things can happen between now and, was it basically two weeks from now? I, I get it. But the fact that this is on there, uh, we've seen, I guess, political opinions aside, we have seen progress. Okay, I think I think everyone can agree on progress on every every stretch of the aisle when it comes to this pandemic. So the fact that we are in a better position now than we were last year and the fact that these restrictions um, are at least being lifted because of progress, I don't I don't see these this time. I don't see the, the ball being pushed out or the can being kicked down the proverbial road this time because of the amount of you know, strength that we have, the resolve, and the resources we have this year versus a year ago. That uh, You do bring up a good point, and it's a question I was just about to ask you. Do you think we are now at a point that we have seen the last of uh, movie delays? Do you think movies will now open when they're set to, or do you think there's still maybe one or two movies that might shift the release date one more time? Oh, I, I, I think we're far from seeing movies, uh, honestly, be, uh, be delayed because of this very fact that if you could, for example, this is this is not based in any sort of uh, facts or data or anything that I've seen. This is just Michael Crable spouting something. But if your movie's already been delayed, like Black Widow, by a year, so oh, what's another pound to an elephant? That if you're going to get 25% people in, let's say, March, but because of progress, you could maybe forecast 50% in April or something. I'm, I'm not saying that's, that's too zealous, but why wouldn't you delay until you could get the majority of theaters filled, not just one quarter of them. So I don't think we're out of the movie delay because at this point, uh, I mean, it's just a waiting game anyway. It's not like you're going to be mm -hmm. losing or saving money because the the films that have already been pushed back, yes, it's it's been a domino effect because either they're going to release all of the films that were supposed to come out in 2020 and now 2021, and you're gonna there's going to be like an accordion. They're all going to be jammed together with a very limited release. Uh, as far as theaters, amount of theaters, and the amount of people in them, or people work deals, and they continue to stretch them out. 
because at this point, I know you're saying, well, what about the films in 2022 that are going to be impacted by 2021 and then 2020? I'm just going to say they're going to continue to get pushed off because we just really, it's like this last year, nothing happened in the movie industry for the most part. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to kick everything down the road. I just don't, I do not see them saying, all right, the theaters are back to 100%, let's say in July. Let's just say that hypothetically. Then we release all of these 25 big blockbusters in six months. Like, that's just not going to happen. That's not a way to, to make, for them to maximize their return on investment. All right. Who had shocking news of the week for 500? Because this is absolutely that um but it's not necessarily i think bad news i'm very much intrigued by this to say the least and that is the upcoming flash movie starring ezra miller has cast its supergirl of all characters um a young actress named by the name of sasha kaye kai i'm i'm so sorry (laughs) sasha if i'm mispronouncing your name i'm terrible with names uh Kyle, um, something along those lines, has been cast as Supergirl in the Flash movie. I have so many questions about this, um, but none of them in or regards to the actress. I know some people are going, well, she's not blonde or white. I'm going, she doesn't necessarily have to be blonde or white. I would prefer she's blonde, but she doesn't need to be a Caucasian actress um, because there's other nationalities in mm-hmm. Krypton. Um, I'm still more just questioning Supergirl in a Flash movie. Like, this movie is already pretty crowded with not one, but two Batmen. Um, I'm sure there's going to be other cameos. This just seems like an odd decision. However, I was sold on this girl as Supergirl as soon as I saw the video that was posted with it of her getting the call from the director, Andy Muschietti, saying that she had been cast Supergirl. Because, oh, if you guys haven't seen it, it is so genuinely heartwarming. Like, he, he's on a Zoom call with her, and he's like, uh, Sasha, can you fly? She's like, no, obviously not. But if you need me to fly for the movie, I can fly. He's like, so you want to fly? She's like, yeah. Well, you're going to need this. And he pulls up the Henry Cavill Superman suit. He's like... Good, because you're Supergirl. And she just, like, bursts into tears. You could tell it means a lot to her. It was, like, the coolest thing ever. Just how she reacted to it. I'm just like, go get it, girl. Go kick butt. You're going to be awesome. This Apparently, they, um, they, like, auditioned, like, over 400 actresses for this. So, it makes me think that Supergirl is going to be a pretty important part in this. I'm still just scratching my head, kind of going, how does Supergirl fit into this narrative? But again, we don't know the final product. I just think the character is an odd choice for Flash movie. But I'm on board for the casting so far. Yeah, why not? I mean, honestly, why not? And I'm wondering, and this is this is just speculative, but I'm wondering if this is... If because of the Flash has just been an absolute disaster to get off the ground, if this is a creative decision to help not just distract away from that, but also to breathe new life into it because considering how hard it has been for them, this is just a different interpretation and maybe taking focus away from just that care, that character. And maybe the creative team is thinking, well, I don't think the flash can carry an entire movie. I think the TV series does that all by itself pretty well. So maybe we need to throw in this, this fresh sense in here kind of, 
you know, it's not bad news. People aren't reacting to this like, oh, this is a terrible move. But it's interesting. It gets people's attention. It gets people talking about it. Yeah. Uh, this girl doesn't have a whole lot of acting credits yet. She's still a pretty young up-and-comer. I think she's on a soap opera um, right now. It just seems an odd pick. Um, however, it wasn't super out of left field because reports have been flying around for months that WB has been interested in doing a Supergirl movie instead of A Man of Steel 2, which I think is a horrible decision. Yeah. I don't know if I believe those, just because where there's smoke, there's fire for me with Man of Steel 2, and there's there's too many reasons for me not to believe that it'll happen at some point. Um, but this kind of confirms to me that they're they are serious about the Supergirl thing. I was never I never bought that that was something that they're interested in. Just like I never actually bought that they were interested in doing Batgirl. It was more just the cover story to bring in Joss Whedon for the reshoots. Um, this does confirm to me that they are serious about doing a Supergirl movie. Um. Which I'm fine with. Um, any super being is fine with me. I love the... I was about to say the Kent family, but technically she's not a Kent. The the L family, the House of L family. So, why not? Um, it's again, comes down to where is this going to fit into the narrative of The Flash? Or is this just to introduce her in this movie just to spin her off into her own separate movie? And she's kind of shoehorned in there. I'm not sure, but like you said, this movie has had such a hard time getting off the ground. And them saying they introduced, they auditioned over 400 actresses makes me think that this role is pretty important. And it's not just, hey, we're going to just cast a big name actress for this because that'll grab some headlines. Like, no one's really heard of this actress yet. So clearly, I think they see something in her, but they're also projecting big things for her, probably her own franchise. And hopefully, someday, teaming alongside one Henry Cavill, because, again, I don't think he's done yet. Yeah, I, I don't think he is either. Now, as far as them adding adding this superhero to the Flash, do you think this is a way of them introducing them at, and kind of softening what the plot could be for a superhero film, like by like as a standalone film? Or... Is, is she going to be play an intricate role in the plot, and therefore she's that character is needed? I don't know, because there's just a lot of unknowns right now with the Flash. It's kind of like the Spider-Man movie of just like I. There's just so many questions about what's happening. Like they could add any character right now, and I would still go, oh, "Your guess is as good as mine." So maybe she's going to be the Supergirl from like the main universe, or maybe she's an Elseworld. Supergirl that gets pulled into the Flash's universe, thus becoming the Supergirl of our universe. And that's how she gets spun off into her own movies. I don't know, because Supergirl didn't really play a factor in Flashpoint. And of all the character crossovers, the Flash and Supergirl don't really have a lot of time spent together besides like the CW show. Um, but she spends more time with, obviously... The other Kryptonians in her life, that is Superman. Um, I'm sure there's been some crossover in the comics, but like that's not a pairing that I immediately think of, of Flash and Supergirl. So it's just kind of an, an out-of-left-field pick to me, somewhat. Yeah, like that's funny even thinking about her being introduced because of something like Flashpoint. Uh, well, there's precedent to, to that, like softening the blow for audiences. Marvel's right out there so introducing the idea of multiple universes and pulling people in from from 
from different areas. I mean, I've never seen so many people discuss time travel as they did when it came to Endgame. So uh, it's almost as if Marvel's paving the way for mainstream audiences to be okay with this kind of more wacky timeline stuff. And the, I don't know, that would be a, I don't know, a seemingly a cool way to, to introduce her. And so instead of like having it be a, I don't know, uh, a origins a story is like she's already established saying, hey, what the heck happened? <laughs> that would be actually kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. As cool as the Supergirl thing is, I'm more excited about this. But I also have to eat a little bit of crow here and give credit where credit is due to someone. Um, it was announced today, at least on the day we're recording this, that we will be getting a director in Angel Manuel Soto directing a Blue Beetle movie with the Jaime Reyes version of Blue Beetle. So for those that don't know, there's been multiple Blue Beetles, in which case it's this, uh, at least in the Jaime Reyes version, it's this uh, mystical scarab that attaches itself to Jaime's back and gives him this almost like Iron Man-esque suit. Um, There's been other Blue Beetles, like Ted Kord was the original, I believe. Um, But this, I I didn't know if this was in development or not. But we have to give credit where credit is due. I often make fun of Josh for his completely out of left field picks. But to him that swings big will sometimes connect big. And Josh, at his 2020 movie predictions, said that two movies would be coming out in the near future. A Static Shock movie and a Blue Beetle Jaime Reyes movie. Within the past year and a half... Both of those things have been announced to be now in production. So, Josh, I bag at you all the time in loving, teasing way. But, Michael, I you say that sometimes I'm prophetic. I think Josh, he swings big. But when he connects, he's also scary prophetic. That being said, Josh, there's no way Tom Hardy's going to be Wolverine. Sorry. But <laughs> I'm so, so down for this. For those that don't know... Um, the Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle kind of think of it as a this is a very very basic uh, description so Blue Beetle fans are going to be mad at me for this but it's he's a lot like if Iron Man met Miles Morales' Spider-Man and met somewhere in the middle um, of this Hispanic boy that gets these um, special powers and kind of has this um, symbiote attached to his back because the armor can think for itself and it doesn't often like to cooperate with Jaime, but he's a really fun and interesting character. I really fell in love with the character on his uh, appearances on young justice. I think starting in season two, maybe uh, season two or season three. Uh, I really, really enjoy this, but also I think this is a great move because as we saw with into the spider verse, there are large groups of comic book fans that have not, had their chance to be represented on the big screen yet we've had a lot of white superheroes and we're just starting to get around to going oh other nationalities have superheroes too like black panther into the spider-verse um when i worked at boys and girls club i couldn't believe how many kids had already fallen in love with miles morales just going that's my hero that's my spider-man now And I think there's a large contingency of young Hispanic kids that can have that same response to a Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle because this would be the first true um, Hispanic 
superhero in the DC universe, at least for movies. Uh, Miles Morales is half Hispanic, half African American. So this would be 100% in the DC universe. I think this is an absolute slam dunk. I don't honestly know the director. I looked up his stuff. He hasn't been at it very long. But I do think having a Hispanic director really helps because they they know the sensibility. They know the culture better than, say, if you or I did it. Um, and I think that's really, really important because that's such a key factor to the Blue Beetle, especially the Jaime Reyes version. Like I often say, you can change races so long as it's not detrimental to the character. Like you can have a black Batman. That doesn't really change a whole lot of who Batman is. I don't think you could have a white Jaime Reyes. It's it's important that he's Hispanic because it shows that group of kids or anybody that reads Blue Beetle, you matter too. You can be super too. So I think this is really cool. Yeah. I don't know anything about this, but the idea of different representation, uh, we're seeing that kind of pushed more with, like, for example, Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, and you saw this with Coco, with uh, Pixar's film Coco a few years ago, uh, just a paying homage and paying respect to different cultures. And, and I, let's just be honest, introducing a mainly, mainly Caucasian, like, market in the United States and customer base to other different things. And it's just a subtle way that us younger people who have grown up in a more global world, we're more like not receptive, that's the wrong word, but we're more used to it. We're acclimated to the idea that there's there's more to life than just my particular group think. And I think that's it's very important. And because this is coming from this this particular comic book series, they're staying faithful to it. Hey, awesome. I like superhero movies. I'm probably going to go see it uh, unless, for example, like we hear that it's a nightmare or something. I don't know. But, uh, hey, have faith in the fact that you're giving the set of keys over to people and giving them a shot. That is what I love. I like that different voices, uh, I think, deserve to, to be heard. That's how you keep story-making fresh. That's how you innovate. That's how you push the genre forward. I wish I could say that about the future stuff we're going to talk about here, but I, this is a win to me. I'm, I'm really excited for it. So, I want to just, every time we say the name of our next topic, I feel like I just need to burst into song, and that song in particular is the theme song to the original version of this with Mortal Kombat. We finally got a trailer for the new Mortal Kombat movie. I have thoughts. I won't say it was bad by any stretch of the imagination it could have been a whole lot worse um the best thing i could say about it is this does look like a mortal kombat movie you're not going to get high art out of a mortal kombat movie um (laughs) there was some gratifying stuff in this i'm not the biggest mortal kombat fan but seeing sub-zero freeze and then snap Jax's arms off was pretty legit or seeing um scorpion just go to town on fools also even not being the biggest mortal Kombat fan i got a little excited at the end of the trailer just hearing the classic get over here like i don't care if that's cheesy and fan service that's pretty legit some things could be a little more polished like uh, goro over here i think looks a little weird but at least he looks better than the original mortal Kombat, which i know that was a practical but Still looks a little wonky. 
Um, it's a bit of hit or miss on the special effects. Goro looked weird, but the flaming dragon uh, looked amazing. I appreciate that it was a Red Band trailer more than anything else because you may not have the best story, but at least you're going balls to the wall with the violence and brutality, which they've been upfront and honest about since day one. So, if nothing else, this will probably be a fun time at the movies. Yeah, it's funny you say Flaming Dragon. All I can think of is Flaming Dragon from from Tropic Thunder. <laughs> but, but anyway, oh man, this was difficult for me to sit through. Honestly, I I I was. It's like it's like they kept the '90s campy feel, and then were just the CG was a little better. I I don't know, man. This was a miss for me. Uh, I just it did not sell me on any of this. This this is just not something I'm interested in, and. You know, I, I will say, though, there was definitely some cool ideas, uh, but I've never been a Mortal Kombat fan, uh, not because it's bad, just because it just was not my lane of gaming growing up. So I have zero interest, and I have zero investment. But as somebody that has a little bit more than I am, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you actually got something out of this because, for me, I it's like I was hearing and watching this type of lore for the first time, and I'm just like, if that's supposed to get me excited, it didn't. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Mortal Kombat fan. I didn't really play them as a kid. Um, I have a couple of them. Believe it or not, uh, in terms of hours logged into playing Mortal Kombat, I think Heather's actually spent more time playing Mortal Kombat than I have. Um, oh she always tells me that uh, growing up, she would play that with her cousins on the N64, and I'm just going really <laughs> so she actually has probably more of a connection to the at least the og mortal Kombat than i do which i think is kind of funny um i'm still very apprehensive about this movie you got a first time director first time writer and still the biggest red flag to me is you've got all these characters from the original game which is awesome uh luke kang goro sonya blade Jax. And your main protagonist of this movie is someone that you completely made up for this movie by the name of Cole Young. And I'm going, wait, you have all these characters in the Mortal Kombat universe, and you completely made somebody up. You didn't just make your narrative around an existing character like a Scorpion or a Sub-Zero. You created somebody new. I can't tell if that's genius or the stupidest thing I've ever seen. This is one of the few movies that I'm actually okay with the deal that HBO Max made with the theaters of day and date release of theater and home at home streaming because th- that means I can watch this but I don't have to see it in the theaters because I was always very much on the fence from day one of I don't think I'll see this in the theater and I still stand by that Kong versus Godzilla that's a theater experience this I don't want to come out of it feeling like I wasted 10 bucks if that makes sense so if it's good, I'll probably go out and see it in the theaters, but I, w- I still want to see it because it's got my curiosity, but I'd rather see it at home. I don't feel the need to see it on the big screen, if if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it does. It, it's for, it's unfortunate we have to be forced to make these decisions uh, in a way. I wish there was only one way that was the theater, to be honest, but you know, maybe that's the best thing for, for movies like this. I mean, it's for a niche market anyway. And, I mean, I hope they didn't overblow their budget. That's all I'm hoping for, to be honest with you. Okay. No matter what we think about the Mortal Kombat trailer, that was not the trailer that won it for us this past week. Because 
there's a lot of us, myself included, that I feel like we kind of owe Cruella an apology because, holy crap, guys, that trailer for Cruella kicked all kinds of butt. Like, Emma Stone is one of the best actresses working today. Uh, when we, when Josh and I, way, 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 way back, did our favorite actors and actresses list, I believe we talked about her. But she's bringing 110% in this. Like, as soon as the trailer starts, I initially just like, is this just me or is her accent really good? Like, normally yeah. us Americans are terrible with accents, but hers was really good. But I was almost sold like 30 seconds in when she lets out her first evil villain laugh. That moment, I was like, that's not Emma Stone. That's Cruella DeVille. That laugh is perfect and then she shows up to the ball which i completely forgot mark strong was even in this like i got all excited seeing mark strong I was like oh, no matter what there's at least one actor that's going to be good in this because mark strong is like the beacon of light in terrible movies i'm not saying this will be terrible but no matter what mark strong always brings his a game we see him in the trailer then you see this woman in um yeah in this white dress i had to double check real quick and then she sets it on fire and now she's in this red dress and you're like Okay, you stole that from Hunger Games, but that's not the only thing this trailer kind of steals. It looks like Disney's Joker. That being said, it does it so well, and I went from a movie that I had zero interest in to, I actually really want to see this now. Yeah, it, well, it looks like they're actually leaning into the character, not trying to make them redeemable, like Maleficent, you know? Yeah. Uh, like Because that movie certainly could have been a lot more. Uh, mm. And this looks like, well, paying homage to the character, and you know, it's a mystery. It remains a mystery why some of us really enjoy the villains. But my goodness, like I mean, this is also going out on a limb for Disney, especially after seeing they they got they they got the feedback on Maleficent that was at least the first one of financial success, and they were like, well, let's cast another great talented actress, and now let's actually lean into it, and because they're confident they have a market for it. And I'm telling you, seriously, this is going to be good. I I don't think this is something where it's gonna. We're gonna sue for false advertising. I think this is gonna. It, there, I mean, there's something different about it. And yeah, this is. This is. Aren't these the best parts about being in this particular like industry and 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 having a fascination with with movies and enjoying every step along the way is that you get these gems, which you know, for us who follow these a little bit more closely, it, it almost is even more rewarding because we're like, wait a minute, we have reason to doubt this, and then oh my. Gosh, look at this. I mean, this, when I saw this this past week, I was like, okay, I want to go see that. I wasn't going to go see it. The marketing team did their job. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you've done a good trailer, uh, or at least it's a project that ma you made me interested in, if I watch it immediately again after I just finished it. And that's exactly what I did with Cruella. And I was like waiting for Heather to get home to show her. I was like, this actually looks good. And I come back to Emma Stone's accent sounds so good. It doesn't sound like her. It sounds just Cruella. And then at, as you can, as the trailer progresses, you can see her going more and more evil to the point of just like, you see the building on fire. Like, oh, dude, this is going to get dark. My main question is, how are you going to do this narrative about a woman who kills puppies for coats? Like, there's no way you can make her a redeemable character um, or get us have sympathy for this. How do you do this? It I did get some Joker vibes from this for sure, um, but I don't necessarily think that was the worst thing. But but yeah, I 
this has to be one of the most surprising trailers I've seen in a very long time. Now, there's obviously going to be some people poo-pooing the idea out there, just going, this should never have been remade. Disney's creatively bankrupt, which you're right, and they need to stop remaking things until they remake Treasure Planet in live-action form. Then they may oh. proceed. Um, but this, oh, I was like, boy. yeah, I'm down for this. I was so anti this movie, but this this trailer single-handedly won me over, which is a huge testament how good that trailer was because I was so against this for so long. Yeah, like that's that's such a good point, and I'm I'm glad that a lot of us are still able to at least admit that, like, hey, yeah, you know, I not that I was wrong, but it's like, listen. I, I doubted this, maybe for good reasons, but I'm willing to have my mind be changed, and I'm willing to to amend my opinions based on what I'm presented with. And given that this is what we have to react with, I mean, this is for me, this is a must. And when does this come out? You said May. Is that is that when this is coming out? Yes, and I believe okay. it's a yep. Disney Plus movie. Oh, oh, is it really? Yes. Wow. They're now really that's... they're really getting serious about. We need to put stuff on Disney Plus. Uh, well, for sure. I mean, uh, for obvious reasons. But wow, I, I didn't think so. We won't even have the option to see this in theaters. I don't believe so. Wow, Th- that that's e- that's even more interesting. Okay. There's a couple of the live action ones that are coming. Um, this, and I feel like there's two others that Disney announced that they're solely going to be on Disney Plus, which I think is a good move. As much as I want to see things in theaters, Disney Plus needs more original movies and shows. They can't just keep drip feeding us WandaVision one week at a time. As great as that is, you can't have one new show every week. You need to have more content than that. Like Mm -hmm. Netflix is your chief rival. They, they're more quantity over quality. I'll give you that, but you do need to catch up with them in terms of quantity of new programming soon. Like, mm-hmm. I love Disney's library. I love how extensive it is, even if it's missing some stuff. Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Um, but they do need some new content. And we've, we've got WandaVision. We've got Falcon Winter Soldier. So I think this was a smart move to put this on a streamer. And hopefully that means we get some good original movies. Because so far they've been kind of hit or miss on Disney+. Plus. We didn't start off on the right foot with Noel. Mm-hmm. No, not, that's, that's, a very, that's a very good point. <laughs> so this week's episode is sponsored by hmm, i don't know uh taco bell just just because we're recording this on a tuesday taco tuesday let's talk villains shall we let's not waste any more time villains are the best thing about any movie well they should be at least because i've always said that every hero is only as good as their villains and if you have a weak villain, it's not that impressive when your hero overcomes them. So you need to have the best possible villain, or at least the most entertaining, because some of the ones on my list today of our top 10 favorite villains, they may not be the most intimidating, but they left the biggest impression on me and have thus are my favorites. Um, so we, we opened it up to everything, movies, TV, if I remember correctly, Michael has at least one video game character um, mm-hmm. because I live and die by Uncharted. Uncharted is not known for its villains, so I don't have any video game characters. Um, I will kick us off with number 10. This might be on Michael's list. It might not. I'm also trying to remember if I saw this movie with you, Michael. I okay. might have, but I, I don't remember if you were with us in that group or not. Um, in 2012, uh, some of us, uh, in the dorm, saw James Bond's Skyfall. Were you with us for that, Michael? No, that, 
No, I, I did not see Skyfall with you. No, I watched that uh, at home with my... I, I don't know if I... I saw it in theaters, but I think I saw it with my, my own friends. But no. So, okay. I like where you're going here. Javier Bardem as Silva. Oh my gosh. I love him so much. If you can make me just glued to a villain, you've done well. And just how they introduce him with like him coming down the elevator in that one shot. And he talks about having the two rats in the container on the island. And after a while, they begin to eat each other. Then you don't have a rat problem. You just have the one rat. Uh, and it's all in that one take. And just his unnerving presence. Like when he's in the scene that admittedly feels like it's from the Dark Knight. When he's in that chamber. And all of a sudden he somehow manages to plan his escape. He's so menacing and unnerving. I love every once in a while a villain that just is bad for the sake of being bad. And just loves being bad bad when he has james bond do that like shooting contest of see if you can shoot the shot glass over the attractive woman's head and bond misses because he's so rusty and out of it he just shoots the woman in the head i win like he's just evil but you love how evil he is being evil ah i love it so much yeah he is the the opposite uh, of james he's the foil of james bond in that film and honestly like is that film the film, like the plot, like the idea of what they're going through with James Bond is great, but that movie is just taken to another level because of the villain. And uh, he's he's empathetic, and like the, even the fun, like his death scene in that movie is like he's just annoyed. Like I love it. Like it's not even a stereotypical like, oh come on, <laughs> that's what he he succumbs to his injury. But uh, yeah, no, perfect, perfect. Uh, must pick there. Perfect. It's also not on my list, but honorable mention to another Javier uh, Bardem performance with Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Oh gosh! Oh my! Oh goodness! Yeah, that that is uh, that, you know that's a movie I've I've only seen clips of. I've actually never seen all the way through. It, I think so. you would actually like it. It's it's pretty unnerving though. It's like tense. Yeah. It's very tense. Yeah. Uh, well, I will I will start. I will say some honorable mentions, and this might really really make some people upset but uh, i i want to give a shout out to both hans and simon gruber from the Die Hard franchise um they that did not make my top 10 list um and so i i actually love Die Hard 3 you know samuel jackson i actually like simon gruber in that uh and bringing him back uh and i want to also give a shout out to voldemort from the harry potter franchise and jaws uh, i i almost wanted to put jaws on this okay. list but because of how much my dad loved Jaws, uh, but I just couldn't do it uh, because of where I put these particular movie antagonist animals, and that's the raptors from Jurassic Park. Ooh, good call. Or because I ha- I wanted to I wanted to put another animal on here, and Love for me girl. growing up, yeah, I, I yes, exactly. I can avoid the water as a little kid, okay? Because I, I saw Jaws when I was pretty young, and I saw Jurassic Park when I was pretty young. But the intelligence and the uh, kind of the stealth level 10 of the raptors is so unnerving and scary that anytime you're in the woods as a kid and you hear something after watching Jurassic Park and it makes your you know hair on the back of your neck stand up, movie has done its job. So mm-hmm. for me, the raptors had a much more of an impact. You, you easily could say the T-Rex, but... For me as a kid, like you can hear at least the T-Rex coming. It's not going to sneak up on you. Uh, but the idea that you're being hunted as in like system like systematically being hunted down like 
think wolves, but bigger, faster, stronger, and on steroids as far as intelligence. That's really unnerving. So shout out my number 10 to the Raptors of the Jurassic Park franchise. Well, I'm so glad you said him earlier because my number nine, bring me my detonators, Hans Gruber. He's got to be on there somewhere because Alan Rickman is just wonderful. He's like, he's a different type of villain that like so many people have tried to emulate over the years, um, including one of the villains on my list, but I think he's actually better than Hans Gruber, which I'm sure will make some people mad, but just he's the smartest guy in the room, but he knows it. But at the same time, he's not completely inhumane. Like he doesn't, he doesn't seem like he wants to kill the hostages only if they get in his way. Like, when hostages come to him with requests, he will at least hear them out. Um, he's just a smart dude. Being played by Alan Rickman definitely is a major point in your favor. Um, but yeah, Hans Gruber is like the... When you think 80s action villains, that's probably one of the first names that you think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, Die Hard, I mean, I feel bad for, for not having him on there, so I, I almost want to ask for forgiveness in a way, and that's the only one I will ask for forgiveness on. Uh, so makes total sense. Like, when I saw this movie for the first time, I'm thinking, wow, like, this is actually much better than what most of these action movies, actually, like, put in there. And you're right, Alan Rickman, may God rest his soul. Um, let's say number nine for me goes back to my childhood, in fact, I got in trouble. This was actually the first movie that ever got me in trouble, Nathan. I never lied to my grandmother after this event. You see, I was an innocent, really good child, and I and I always was. And, and my grandmother had a habit of, of watching some things that, you know, maybe her discernment because different generation, she, she really wouldn't care if I was in the room or not. Well... She turned on this 90s movie featuring Mr. Kevin Bacon called Tremors. And she said, <laughs> she said, Michael, is it okay if you watch this? And I said, oh, Grandma, that's fine. I was five years old, okay? And the Graboids at number nine from Tremors are th- – that is so freaky, Nathan. And for anyone, any kid who grew up playing outside, outdoors – and these are giant worms that eat you because they travel underground. I mean, what a freaky thing for a five-year-old to have to like fight against because you're always looking for concrete or asphalt, so you're or you're trying to race up to the second story of your house. So for me, like these graboids, like were have burned into my childhood and my childhood psyche that they are they are so scary to me. I know the movie is basically a comedy. But they're so scary because they move underground. They come up to get you. And as a kid playing hide-and-seek or just playing outside, playing football, baseball, and you're like, wait a minute. If I'm the only one out here, I can't move because the graboids are going to get me. (laughs) You You just seem to be afraid but also magnetically drawn to the creatures of the of movies you you like your creature designs i'm sure this is not the last creature if i know you it's not the last creature on our list today by far far from it okay so uh actually while it's while we're on you what's your number eight um okay so when when i say combat carl what are you thinking uh carl weathers okay (laughs) no because seriously carl weathers voiced combat carl in toy story 4 yeah, so that's funny. Combat, so that's the idea, Toy Story here. Because uh, for me, the Toy Story, biggest, like, 
I, I watched this movie. It, it's up there probably the most like most watched film of my entire life. I oh, have same, to put Sid. Same. Yeah, I, I have to put Sid from Toy Story. He's terrifying. His room is terrifying. The way he sleeps is terrifying. Like the guy's it got is. to be a chiropractor after after that. And and so I have to go Sid because you know I'm actually surprised of all the non-recurring villains in every movie franchise. How did they not ever bring him back into it? They did. Um, uh, but like. In, in a way of like where he was terrifying, like he was continuing to be himself. Like I not garbage men are terrifying. Yeah, I know, I know. I just for me, uh, Sid was like he scared me. Like he scared me because of what he was doing to his toys. You're like, well, I don't want uh, Woody and Buzz to be torn apart. That they actually go to the house. You're like, no. So there's so much investment in the fact that like you can't allow Sid to have your favorite uh, toys. So. Uh, and then, lo and behold, uh, Molly ends up being the uh, – is it Molly? No, it's not yes. Molly. It's his Sid – no, it's what's Sid's sister. Is it? Is it Molly? I think it is Molly. Yeah, she ends up being the true villain uh, for, <laughs> for Buzz Lightyear. So Sid from Toy Story I'm is Mrs. my Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> Just slap him. So, interesting. Um, let's see if I can segue that. Um yeah, let's see. So some people on the internet like love to do the the villains really misunderstood. And people have tried to do that with <laughs> Sid. No, seriously, people have tried to do that with Sid going, you see his father passed out, so maybe his father's a horrible person. That's why he spends so much time abusing his kids. I'm going, okay, that's dark. Well, <laughs> someone that the internet has tried to go, okay, maybe he's not so bad because – it's a character that has actually been away for quite a few years, but has a resurgence after a show that he's been on also had a massive resurgence once it moved from YouTube Red to Netflix. That is one fear does not exist in this dojo, Mr. Sensei Crease of Karate Kid slash Cobra Kai. Um, he starts off in the original Karate Kid being, and even more so in Karate Kid 3, when he really hams it up, being like the most over-the-top, cheesy 80s villain of all time. But entertaining, at least, of just like, boy, don't fight till tournament. Oh, I like that, old man. But I like that. I like that. Like, he gets, he's just nuts. And then you flash forward to Cobra Kai, and the show is so good at being dynamic of, no one is truly good or truly bad. There's always this gray area of even someone as evil as Sensei Kreese. There is a reason and reasons and events that have shaped him into why he is the way he is. Without going too much into it, they make it clear that Kreese has seen some stuff. And also, they, without openly spelling it out, they kind of address why he hated Miyagi to begin with. They don't openly state it, but you kind of infer from the stuff that Kreese has been through why he acts the way he does. But he's still so evil. But he just he's just that snake. He's a cobra, literally, of you don't trust him, but you let him in just a little bit and he will kill you. He's just cheesy, over the top. But you really don't want to mess with him. He, he's you just hate him, but he's wonderful at being so hate. Just he's so easy to hate, and that's what makes him wonderful. Yeah, and what do you what do you think is the key to writing villains that way? Like, why why is that such a I don't know a um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
uh, it, it allures, not that's a, it eludes. Why is it so elusive? My goodness, I'm starting to get tired. Why is that such an elusive thing in, in writing a villain, do you think? I don't know. I think people either uh, always want to make, like wrestling terms, they always want to make the good guy look strong, so they don't want to put the bad guy over at any point. So they're just like, there's a certain limit. Our hero, they can't take this much uh, damage or abuse or else it's it's too hard to watch, which I've never abided by that mindset. Throw all the crap in the world to the protagonist. Make them suffer as much as humanly possible so long as they win in the end. Um, I think you can punish, beat up, destroy, demoralize your main protagonist as much as you want so long as the victory is as great as the lowest valley was. Like, Avengers Endgame only really works because of how depressing the end of Infinity War was. You can beat up your... um, Your villain can keep punching and punching and beating down your protagonist and your main hero so long as your hero dishes out just as much on the comeback when they eventually win. Like, the ending has to be justified. And I think with um, Kreese in the original Karate Kid... He just pours it on and pours it on. He there just seems to be no humanity to the point of when, uh, uh, Daniel. I almost said Johnny because Johnny is the actual hero. Uh, when Daniel finally wins, it's just this we win. Uh, that's why I would say the better the villain, the better the hero, because you get this sense of we did this, even though we're not the one in the story. We did this because we hated this other character so much. Our guy won. It's the, it's kind of like the sports mentality of we didn't play, but we got him. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, so what what is was that your number eight? That was my number eight. Yes. Okay. What's your number seven? What you got for us, man? My number seven is one of my most nostalgic and oddly specific picks. It's also one of the only ones that I have the action figure for, and I still have the action figure for. Um, the two thousand three version. Of the Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so I I was a Turtles fan growing up. And still to a certain extent they still hold a special place in my heart. But I don't watch it religiously anymore like I used to. But I grew up on the 2000s version. I didn't grow up on the uh, OG like the 80s version. Where it's very child friendly. This is more of the. It took more inspiration from Batman the animated series. As opposed to the original uh, Ninja Turtles cartoon. But this Shredder design was so cool. The voice was so perfect. But just um, seeing uh, such a menacing villain, but a villain that for a good chunk of the show, I don't think it was until like the season one finale, we don't actually see him in action for quite a long time. They really, really held back and just built up the anticipation of this guy's bad. This guy's bad news. And also, we don't see him in the Shredder suit for a very long time. We just see him as Orokusaki at the top of this building for a very long time. So when the turtles eventually go, okay, you've crossed the line. We're coming to you. And they get in the turtle van and they crash. Um, they crash into Orokusaki's building. And they basically go dread with it. Of They have to go every floor by floor to get to the top to face the Shredder. And, dude... I can't even begin to tell you how amped I was as a kid when the Ninja Turtles did a three-part finale about them getting to the top to fight um, the Shredder. And it takes all four of them to beat him. And the great cliffhanger of it's just down to Leo and Shredder. They run at each other top speed. They do that epic like samurai uh, moment where they both land on opposite sides or where they jump from. And Header, Header, Shredder's head 
falls to the floor. He's been decapitated, which is intense for a kid's cartoon. It was in silhouette, so it wasn't too graphic. Uh, so the turtles go home. Re- they rejoice. And at the end of the episode, Shredder stands up and puts his head back on. I'm like, bro, what is oh, this my. magic? Uh, and then you find out why obviously and it actually ties back into the original show which is a really really clever twist i really like that but his design his menace um i'm blinded by nostalgic goggles for this guy but he was such a menacing threat and i was just like how dare you mess with my turtles they're my favorite people uh well mm-hmm. favorite turtles so to speak <laughs> it's so oddly specific because i don't particularly care for the 80s shredder with um uncle phil or the michael bay shredder because that's really not shredder at all uh, but that man, that 2000 Shredder was just perfect and menacing, and I loved everything about him. Yeah, like that. That's those are the best uh, when you have uh, heroes that you love, you're invested in, and they are legitimately under distress, and it takes everything in them to beat a villain. Like those, that's what makes you care. But like that's a good storytelling. So I, I'm I'm glad I don't really know anything about what you just talked about. So I'm but I'm glad that I can see that that, that passion. Uh, in that uh, particular uh, TV series. I, I will keep it with TV, and I'm going to go to one of my favorite shows of all time, which is Burn Notice, which ran on USA back in from like 2006 to like 2013 or oh, so. Oh, so when Psych was king. Yes. Uh, USA, by the way, in the oh, mid- yeah. mid-2000s, I mean, just pumping out content. Monk, um, Covert Affairs, yeah. Psych, Burn Notice. White Collar. I'll oh, throw dude. The white Collar in there as, as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I'm going to start at season five here with the villain known as Anson, Anson Fullerton. And if you don't know anything about, about Burn Notice, Burn, and I'll, I'll, this will be a slight spoiler here, Burn Notice is about a guy, uh, Michael Weston, who was a spy who gets burned by his agency. And, mm-hmm. he's, and he's just fighting to get his way back in. And in the meantime, he does a lot of odd jobs, kind of like MacGyver style, and he helps out just random people who just have trouble. And they can't really go to the law because they've been you know, blackmailed and they either would be killed if they went to law enforcement or they can't trust law enforcement. Well, here you have a guy with a particular set of skills uh, who has a, a small team that can help these people out of these jams. Well, one of these supposed clients, which they call them, is actually this villain. And so Michael ends up helping this guy. And he actually, this, this guy sets this all up where he's a very sympathetic character. He's like a very, he's a nerd, he's a weakling, and, you know, he is played as a victim because his wife and child die. And at the end of the episode, because of what Michael is able to do for, this, for this, this guy, he is able to then be inserted into Michael's life at exactly how he wanted. Like, Michael was able to give him, like, I'll just say, something he was able to give them a piece of something that actually helped the, the villain out. And when you find out, he goes, but well, wait a minute, what about that wife and that kid that were killed? And he goes, yeah, so what? They were, they were people that were, that I hired to do this. And it's just it, like the flip of the switch is so strong and so sudden. And, but it doesn't come, it comes out of nowhere because, you know, for a show, it doesn't really have that many twists, but it's done, but it's done very well. It's tasteful because it's believable. You're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, going back to the episode, you're like, yeah, Michael didn't ask this question. There's not this this sort of skepticism that he's usually having, and he gets taken advantage of. So you basically see the hero fall at the very beginning of season five, and then the rest of the season, this guy's just tormenting him. And and so it is, it's one villain that for 
everyone, including his demise. It's actually not even ju just worthy. The, the, the introduction of the villain makes you angry, and the demise of the villain makes you angry. I know that's all I'll say, but yes, shout out to Burn Notice. That, and that is a phenomenal show for anyone who's looking for something out there, Burn Notice. And it's actually, it's on Prime Video. So, there you go. It'll probably be on Peacock sooner rather than later. I wouldn't be surprised, because Peacock's yeah. crapping up all their old stuff. Which, while you're there, watch Psych. Uh, so, was that your number seven? Yes. All right, what is your number six, my friend? Uh, okay, so we're going to keep it with creatures, but we're going to go animated. Uh, my favorite okay. musical of all time, uh, Disney's The Jungle Book, Sheer Khan, number six for me, and that particular version of The Jungle Book because growing up, this was one of those kids' movies that you know, you're know you three or four years old that your parents would let you watch, so it was kind of like my first feature-length film because it's got some got some uh, jingles in there and tunes that's not very very harmful but the the parts where you see fire and you see a tiger you know as a as a little guy you're 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 not really like well this is a very interesting plot and i really like the lyrics to these songs no you're, you're literally seeing okay bear talking you know uh boy likes jaguar and oh there's a tiger i bet he's bad uh but the sheer terror that Sheer, um, sheer Khan, Khan terror. Yes, exactly. I mean, he beats up Baloo. I mean, and you think Baloo is like dead, and you're like, no. And then at the end, uh, what you see his demise. And I, I'm just saying that for me, Sheer Khan was like, other than what will to come later, is like my childhood and the definition of a good villain for me uh, is that tiger. I will never ever forget his impact and how when I saw him for the first time. And then what he did to my favorite character, kind of like you're talking about Shredder and how, uh, you know, he's taking on turtles, but was a real threat to them. Um, it took the entire jungle to stand up to Shere Khan. So number six, I'm uh, keeping with the creatures theme. Um, he's not on my list, but I'm so glad you brought it up. I would throw Shere Khan into discussion, but not the original. I go from the live action remake because, yeah, dude, good. you throw Idris Elba's voice in, not Idris Elba. Was it Idris Elba? Yeah, it was Idris Elba. Yeah. Oh, it was uh, Chuto LGA4 in Lion King. I was getting it mixed up. Um, <laughs> Idris Elba was terrifying as Shere Khan. Um, like, when he has the little wolf, and he's just like, and this is how you do it. You infiltrate the family. I'm like, no thank you. Yeah. Um, however, I'm still kind of mad to this day that Disney didn't have the guts to do uh, how Shere Khan died in the original Roger Kipling book, which actually... it narratively would have made sense in the live action version so in the book if i remember correctly he gets trampled to death by elephants and that yeah. actually would have made sense in the live action one because he doesn't respect the rules of the jungle and they say the elephants are basically the gods of the jungle and everyone bows down and respects them so if he gets trampled by the elephants it would have been sweet karma to go okay you died because you didn't respect the rules of the jo the law of the jungle and the law of the wolf is the pack or something like that uh but sure Khan, good pick good pick um my number six is not a disney character but at the rate we're going he might soon be because he's a spider-man villain not just a spider-man villain my favorite spider-man villain of all time ever since i was reading comics still to this day I think the best Spider-Man villain portrayal of all time, and that's including Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Yeah. That man. Oh, yeah. That man. Yes, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3 is just kind of eh, but tell me Sam Raimi didn't know how to cast his movies well. 
Doc there, Ock yeah. as uh, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Even Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman in um in Spider Man Three, I think is perfect casting. But of course, the cherry on the top is J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, which is literally perfect. You can't do any better than that. But getting back to Doc Ock, he was sympathetic but menacing. He was Doc Ock fully realized and who as a kid i always loved doc ock because he seemed like the biggest threat to spider-man of even spider-man when he first faces doc ock has to think outside the box of okay i got my butt kicked by this guy why is that oh because i was in a confined um tight space so if i'm going to beat doc ock i have to beat him out in the open like an open pier or something where i can easily dodge and move he's so Perfect. I just love Alfred Molina's Doc Ock so much, which makes me really hesitant about the rumors of him being in the next Spider-Man. Um, cool to see him come back, but please don't screw this up. He's so perfect and menacing. And other than the really big, huge, expensive one, I had basically every Lego set you could have for Spider-Man 2 that included oh, Doc Ock. Yeah. And I, those pieces are still somewhere because for those that remember, that Doc Ock was special because it was the first time he had like the the actual robot arms in a Lego set that yeah. were like 12 pieces in and of themselves. Cause you had to like connect the arms. It was awesome. Um, yeah, I, I had that set. I, I absolutely, I absolutely know what you're talking about. Yeah. He was like the, like I remember he was difficult. Like he's memorable in the Spider-Man two video game that came out. Like, okay. What, that's a banger of a game. It is. Oh my gosh. It is like, I still play that. Like I, I really do it all. It's glorious. Like 12 frames per second on a, on my big tv at a four by three aspect ratio which speaking uh, yeah. of spider-man i do have something to tell you off mic when we're done with this oh okay oh boy okay well let's just i'll just give you all my rest of my <laughs> rest of my list no i'm kidding no no no, no what what a, what a great pick like seriously when you i mean i don't know what do you think of the whole horror introduction kind of of him in the in the emergency room in this in the in surgery i mean that's just a it's kind of juxtaposed it, it feels like it belongs in a horror movie not a superhero film it's because it's a Sam Raimi movie. Of course, he's got to throw some horrific elements in. That the dude that did Evil Dead, of course, is going to throw in some horror when he can. Uh, the dude that did Drag Me to Hell. Uh, okay, maybe bad example there. Uh, the guy that comes from a horror background, of course, is going to try and push the envelope a little bit. As I'm sure he's going to try and push the envelope a little bit in into the multiverse of madness. But I'm not going to complain as a horror fan, which um actually segues me perfectly into my number five which is a horror character all right shocker shocker um actually shocker is another spider-man villain but not on my list i'm getting sidetracked um anybody that's been listening to this podcast for more than like a single episode will probably know where i'm going with this uh it's the only person on my list today that shares a name with you michael Ah, michael myers obviously uh, provided he's not being controlled by some weird cult like Halloween 6. Um, Michael Myers is the true definition of the boogeyman. Without him, say what you want about the movies. Without Michael Myers, I truly believe there is no slasher movies. Yes, you had some before, like Black Christmas or Psycho. Uh, but without the popularity of Halloween, we wouldn't have had Friday the 13th, which is openly admitted as a ripoff. Um, we wouldn't have the slashes that we have today, which... They could still be a lot of fun, and they are. I think slashers are important because they are the surefire stability for a lot of studios. They're cheap to make, and they'll bring in a lot of money at the box office. So they may not be the highest quality of art, 
but you do kind of need those as a movie studio of okay what are our safe bets that'll still kind of help the bottom line at the end of the day they don't need to be great but if it means because of these movies we get something else then sure um that aside i am so i don't know what the right word is so emotionally attached to halloween is probably the right way to put it um just because it was introduced to me in college it's had a very profound effect on me and so it opened my eyes to a whole new world of movies and michael myers is a big part of that he's so creepy and menacing before i watched halloween i wasn't checking the background to see where the monster or the creature was you're now scanning the whole field going is he in the shot is he not um and yes he's had his ups and his downs um rob zombies incarnation he's just the ideal movie monster he's just perfect i believe if i remember correctly he was my number one in our uh, top 10 movie monsters list he's just what you think of when you think of slasher yes i'll admit there's not a lot of characterization to him which is a good thing every time they try and add backstory to him i adamantly against it because not knowing is what makes him scary like the joker you the joker should not have an origin story joaquin phoenix because knowing what where he comes from makes him less scary and to me michael myers should always be scary in that we don't know anything about him yeah uh, well i was just say just living vicariously through my mom and this was like the movie she talked about that when she saw in theaters like she basically squeezed the blood out of her boyfriend then boyfriend at the time's hand uh, she just couldn't she she did the half halfsies where you know he was she was just kind of like leaning in into his shoulder while kind of like peeking through her hands like just like kind of with her hand over her face so uh for her uh you know when she said that i'm like i'm mildly curious about this movie and then i watched it and i went well that was a mistake i shouldn't have watched that uh, alone you know uh, <laughs> Oh, I a hundred percent understand why he's on here. You know, I, I have a, I definitely have a horror on, on my list here. Uh, but oh, I, the, I think I know what it is. Yeah, that that writing's in the wall there. Uh, but yes, I mean, I it's probably the pinnacle. I mean, and kind of like the start of like that first real unnerving villain that was that wasn't like campy, but it was like okay, this there's something different about this guy, wouldn't you say? I mean, for mm-hmm. for the time and the era. It's a, it's a lot different. Like, that's kind of like it inspired. I mean, it really did inspire more of a genre than any of the others, I would say. Wouldn't, wouldn't oh, you yeah. agree with that? Uh, I, would, I would say that Halloween is the better movie, but Friday the 13th is what really inspired the cheap slasher craze because, like, the original Halloween was made cheaply, but it was made with the best technology of its time. And I think visually and aesthetically and just – from a film standpoint, still stands head and shoulders above any other slasher of its era. But I think Friday the 13th was what really popularized the slasher because it was cheap, quick to make, and they had like one a year for like eight years in a row. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, which number are you on? You're six, uh, so, so So I'm now in top five. Uh, I guess What was your number six of, again? Yeah, so to a brief recap, I have the Raptors from Jurassic Park, Graboids from Tremors, Sid from Toy Story, Anson from Burn Notice Season 5, uh, Shere Khan from okay, Disney's The Jungle Book, and then my breaking my top five, this is really easy pick. I won't spend too much time because it speaks for himself, is Dark Knight's Joker. Uh, not, and, and again, there was a lot, of, a lot of things for me. My parents forbid me to watch this film. 
uh, and because of kind of how dark, my mom actually filed the development of this film, which was kind of odd to me. But she followed it, at, and especially even more closely after Heath Ledger had died and seeing Jack Nicholson's comments, and she just kind of wanted to keep me away from it. So I eventually saw it much later, a little bit older, being able to kind of analyze a little bit more. And, you know, it, it's unnerving in all of the ways possible. And to think that a movie can go this dark without using gore, without using profanity or any of the other tropes in some, in some horror movies, he's just mentally terrifying and acted brilliantly and every iteration of the Joker after that and for me even in, I have regardless of animated or live action has got me interested in the character uh, more so and then out going back after seeing this film or the Dark Knight for the first time going back and watching like Batman the animated series like what made that Joker special so uh, it's just kind of a it's an homage to the entire character but specifically Heath Ledger's iteration. I mean, it's hard not to like. He's not on my list, but in terms of like, in terms of overall legacy, I think there is that like Grand yeah. Canyon that almost, not Grand Canyon. Wow, where's my brain at? The Mount Rushmore of like movie villains. Now, I won't say that these are my top four. I would just say off the top of my head, it would probably be Hannibal Lecter, Darth Vader, uh, Jared, not Jared Leto's. Good God, no! <laughs> oh um, wow. Wow, I'm really thinking about Snyder Cut, I think. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, and I don't know who would be the fourth. Um, Loki or yeah. Thanos, because I'm really, really blanking right now. Maybe Wicked Witch of the West, in terms of yeah. just, like, iconic villains. But he, like, yeah. as soon as you saw that first trailer, you're like, okay, he's going to go down in the history books very quickly. And yeah. he did. Uh, he's not on my list. I'll leave it at that. Um, what's okay. number four, no. Michael? Yeah, so, and, and again, I think it's important for people. These, these are our personal lists. That, like, if we were trying to make an objective list, like, oh, it's iconic. Impossible. You bring up a great one with, with uh, Wicked Witch. Like, how do you not include her in the in the list of of movie villains? In fact, you know, I shouldn't even throw her out as a, as a late honorable mention because of how much she scared my mother and, in fact, scared me. Uh, but, yeah, so, so number four, uh, started with the book by Tolkien and – come to life in in the movie adaptations in the 2000s uh it's, i have to say sauron uh how impending he is how how everything that he do, did without actually having for the most part a physical manifestation on screen but actually being mentally torturing spiritually i guess torturing our our protagonists uh, that grip the hold like when you finally see his demise it's like a burden has fallen off of your back, not just Frodo's. So uh, kudos to the live-action interpretation of Sauron from Peter Jackson because it, you, I mean, it is a war of attrition because the movies are so long anyway that when it finally happens, like you had mentioned like the depths and the lows that our characters go through and the triumph. It's like you're breathing a fresh, fresh air for the first time in months. And, and that that's why, you know, for me, Sauron is a complete movie villain. Definitely, for me, belongs in the top five because of the weight the, uh, that his demise carries. He casts such a big shadow. Liter- literally, he cast a yes. big shadow over uh, Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, characters in general for Lord of the Rings are exceptional. Uh, another fantasy series, this time it's an actual TV series for my number four. That also has phenomenal 
characters and characterizations. This I almost didn't put on my list because by the end of the show, he is no longer a villain because he has one of the best arcs I've ever seen for a character. And that is Prince Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, okay. Like, starts as this, I must catch the Avatar at all costs. But then, like a good onion, the more you peel back the layers that is Zuko, it's really, really hard to hate him as a character that, at first you're like, oh, he just wants to catch the character that we love, so that makes him bad. But then you find out why he's going after the Avatar of his father basically tortured him and kicked him out of the kingdom and goes, the only way you can ever have my love and affection or come back to the kingdom is if you catch the Avatar. Like, he doesn't even want to really catch the Avatar for anything but nefarious, but he just wants his father to love him again. But as the show progresses, he does a full-on face turn by the time we get around to, like, the last season. He is one of the good guys. Um, It's the redemption story that a character we'll talk about later should have had um if his whole narrative was a little better i'm i know we're on the same page with that villain i think that villain while he's not my number one his overall story is what keeps him from being number one i think for me but zuko has one of the most complete narrative arcs of where you start is a horrible person and you want punished at every turn but at the end of it you almost like him as much as the Avatar himself because he's undergone this journey and he is not the same person that you met in season one at the end of season, I think it's either three or four when the show wraps up. It It's so well done and you don't see a lot of characters written as well as the characters on Avatar The Last Airbender were written. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm i glad that you, you threw that in there because I know that this is a beloved character by a lot of people. Or excuse me, a beloved show. I don't know a whole lot about the characters. I, I've i never jumped on that train, and uh, forgive me, uh, Father, for sinning, for not uh, for watching uh, Avatar Last Airbender. I know it's been great, but I, I guess I fell victim to being one of the only few people Netflix, in the United Netflix. States. Who, well, I went and saw The Last Airbender in theaters and went, well, if that's anything like the show, which I know it's not, I'm never going to watch it. Um but I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you threw in that aspect of like, do they have to be a villain the entire time to make this list? Absolutely not. An impact uh, is still an impact, and you're right. You're you're right. The the entire story certainly uh, it should be taken into account. What uh, I'm really curious. To, we're getting down to crunch time here. What's your number three? Because I'm really starting to, I'm really starting to guess because some of mine, um, you know, might be easier for you to guess now, but I am completely lost. For you. My number three is exactly who I was referring to when I said with Zuko of ah. this villain would have been higher had his entire oh. story arc been a little better. And that is, of course, the Dark Lord himself, Darth Vader. Darth Vader is incredibly menacing. However, however, break it down movie by movie. A New Hope. He is really just on Tarkin's leash. Tarkin is actually the villain of A New Hope. Vader does not become interesting until Empire Strikes Back. He doesn't become really interesting until Return of the Jedi because you go into it knowing that he's Luke's father. So I think we like Vader now because we've seen the entire trilogy. It almost, what I'm saying, almost feels sacrilegious. But I think Vader gets interesting in Empire Strikes Back 
and his whole if his whole trilogy appearance and even to a certain extent the prequels i think the prequels really help take some of the shine off of vader going oh you're just a whiny brat that got told no too many times and you couldn't handle that um vader of Vader is one of the most iconic villains of all time. I said earlier in this episode, he's on the Mount Rushmore of villains. He's one of the best of all time. I just don't know if I personally would put him in that top slot just because of some other factors and some other villains that personally resonate with me more for other reasons. That being said, it's Vader. Three is the absolute lowest he can get. He can't be four or below. Like, that's the lowest he can slip just because it's Vader. That's all you need to say. Like, mm-hmm. even Star Wars knows that, and they milk his appearances for as much as they can, Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. Um, I, I'll respond to that here in a few moments, uh, not to tease too much. Uh, so number three is, for me, is not going to shock any anyone who knows me, including Nate. Uh, my last, uh, well, I could almost say in a way creature uh, on this, uh, my... Favorite horror genre is often, I guess, the niche genre of sci-fi horror. There it is. I was wondering when when this would show up. Yeah, when I first saw this thing, I didn't breathe. Alien from the Alien, the Xenomorph from the Alien franchise, scared me, Nathan, so bad in the worst possible way because at this time, I slept in my parents' basement where it's cold it's wet, it's damp, <laughs> and there's a lot of weird noises, and there's a lot of weird like crevices in the ceiling and the rafters because it was an unfinished basement at the time. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, it's hiding up there somewhere. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm in elementary school, I'm in middle school, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't go downstairs. Like my dad says, hey, can you go downstairs and get me a, a something to drink? Nope, sorry, can't do it. My legs are broken. <laughs> and oh my gosh, the fact that you can't kill it because it has acid blood. It's re. No, there's a way you can kill it. Out of you. you can, there's you a way you can kill the alien. Just let Ridley Scott be in charge for too long. Hmm. 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 Well, I will say from Dutch, from a you know predator. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Not necessarily. Um, I mean, every the whole life cycle of xenomorph is terrifying. The fact that it's strong, it's intelligent, it gets full growth in like I don't know a half hour. And it has to be born inside you. Like that's everything's unnerving about it, and the fact that it looks. I mean, the the creature design from H.R. Giger is. I mean, it's nightmare inducing. This no, thing like, is the, wasn't it literally? I if I remember the legend correctly, wasn't it literally created from a nightmare that Giger had? Like, uh, isn't I, it I, actual nightmare fuel? I, I'm right. not in. Yeah, I'm not entirely certain on that. When I've I've watched the documentaries, they just say they they just credit like the original drawings. The original drawings are, are I think in a way creepier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't I can't verify that. Somebody's got to fact check uh, me on that. Um, so yeah, like this alien is is by far the the scariest like actual thing for me I've ever seen. That's fair. Um, I think it's one of the coolest creature designs. It's never scared me, but then again, I didn't see Alien for the first time until, I believe, college, maybe? It's just because it didn't really interest me. I knew about it from the great movie ride at Disney, uh, which is no longer there. How dare you stand where he stood, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad. I will never forgive you. I don't care what your screen projections look like. Uh, But the Xenomorph has one of the coolest designs. Um, Only surpassed by the Predalien, which... Would be cool looking 
if we could actually, you know, see what it looks like. Uh, (laughs) And I'll still, to the day that I die, defend at least the first Alien vs. Predator as a really fun movie and does not deserve the 26% on Rotten Tomatoes that it currently has because it's it's aware of what it is. Um, My number two might surprise Michael, but at the same time, it, it really shouldn't. It's Joker, but not the one you're expecting. Yeah, not the one I'm expecting. It's Mark Hamill's Joker. Yeah. Because, of course, oh, yeah. it has to be. As a kid, I didn't know any other Joker. I watched Batman animated series religiously. I watched Justice League. It's always Mark Hamill. Then when I grew up and matured, I played the Arkham games. Arkham City is still to this day my favorite game of all time. That's including the Uncharted game, so that's saying something. It's Mark Hamill for there, too. I watched a lot of the animated movies. It's there. It's him there as well. He shows up all the time, but I don't think any other Joker has gotten close to being as perfect as Mark Hamill is as a Joker. And Some people will always go with the immediate defense of, he's doing a voice. It doesn't, that doesn't count. He's not actually acting. Voice acting, I think, is just as hard as actual acting because actual acting, you can contort your face, you can express emotion uh, without saying a word. Voice acting, you have to say your emotions just by your voice, and that's incredibly difficult to do um, considering I did a voiceover stuff for the Nightwing video that's coming out on Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, there's oh, different boy. there's different voices that I had to do for that and try and express emotion for that as best as I could. Um, I'm not, as you will see, I'm not good at voice acting, but I still tried my best. Um, but his was embodied everything about Joker, the fun, manic energy that comes with it. But when he wants to turn up the sinister, he is absolutely terrifying to the just degree that I haven't actually seen any other live action version. Like, yes, Heath Ledger's Joker was terrifying, but there's sometimes that Mark Hamill lets out his classic Joker laugh that I'm genuinely terrified of what he will do next. And that's what Joker should be. One minute he's your pal, he'll protect you, and then the next he'll shoot you in the face because you didn't get his sandwich right type of thing. He he perfectly personifies the Joker that I know. Like how when I read Spider-Man comics, I read in J.K. Simmons' voice whenever I see J. Jonah Jameson. Whenever I read a Batman comic and there's Joker, I hear Mark Hamill because to me, I've been hearing him for more than 25 years as Joker, and he's no Joker will even come close to how perfect Mark Hamill is. I thought you were going to say Skeletor, so uh, I'm... Uh, hey, I'm, man! <laughs> uh, I completely understand why this is on your list. It's absolutely justifiable because I grew up with Batman the Animated Series, and even though I didn't have that that personal connection that you did, I mean, phenomenal. Like you had mentioned at the very beginning, a hero is as strong narratively wise as the villain. I mean, they try to be foils and try to push each other, and in this show, I mean, it's so much better than it has every right to be. There's only a few animated shows that are able to push the envelope and have so much talent behind it. Uh, and to see that, you see Mark Hamill like put that type of effort in. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, the are are you when you mentioned Arkham Arkham City, he's he voices Joker in that game too. He right? voices Joker in all the Arkham games. Yep. Uh, okay, cool. That's that's awesome. And I, I I don't say that as a terrible way to segue into a video game, but that is my number two. Uh, this you could see coming a mile away. 
uh, for those who know me, I, how do I not talk about Mass Effect? How do I not talk about the Reapers from Mass Effect? Uh, big, big machine robot things that want to destroy and harvest all life in the galaxy and wipe out uh, every, every advanced life form and start the quote-unquote cycle over again. Um, yeah, kind of like a big sci-fi trope. It's been there and it's been used. Starship Troopers. The, yeah, and except for in this case, because it takes place over like basically over a hundred hours of, of content, it is it's something for me that they do so well that I am I am blown away each and every time that they introduce these uh, things. If you go, if anyone wants to find out what this is, just type in YouTube Mass Effect Sovereign first like first encounter or just type in Mass Effect and Sovereign and then just listen to that opening dialogue of this villain and I think the best part of the whole Mass Effect thing is that you're chasing this mysterious thing and it's revealed like at the end and, and it's done in such a good way that you're like well wait a minute this, this is kind of like a really crappy reveal like no it's it's done very smart so uh, I gotta take give it up to the Reapers they are truly an existential threat you hate them you hate them to death and by the end, when you finally triumph, uh, for better or for worse, you are relieved. And I think that's the sign of a, of a good villain. So, uh, hooray, by the way. Also, for us Mass Effect fans, we're getting a legendary remaster, so we get to mm-hmm. fight the Reapers in, in 4K HDR. <laughs> yes. Um, I believe I know what your number one is, but uh, for the audience at home, what is your number one? I, I yeah. feel like we know. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be Vader only because when I when I saw Star Wars for the first time, I mean, unlike my dad, who was like, "Who's that weird guy with a lampshade on his head?" Uh, you know, he's he's a big black menacing figure. He's strong. He's tall. He's willing to choke people out. You know, both with his hands, his actual hands, as well as with this mysterious force thing. And then he kills Obi-Wan. He kills the old man. You don't do that. It's because so, Alec Guinness didn't want to be in the movie. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so from the very first scene, like, he's the person. Like, they sh- like the, George focuses on the fact, like, here is the villain. He, this is going to be the guy. He might not be the guy in the first film, but he's the one carrying out everything. He's the guy you're going to hate or at least be scared of. And... When his narrative continues on further, and you find out, oh my gosh, that's uh, Luke's dad, adds another layer, and then you see his eventual redemption and return of the Jedi. And so for me, it's easy. Star Wars is, is the biggest art, like media, biggest art form that's ever impacted my life is outside, like fiction. I'll say it's the biggest fiction piece that's impacted my life by far. I, I, it would be sacrilegious of me not to put Vader there and because of what the impact he's had. I still think it holds up really well if not the fact that he can still make money to this day with multiple generations of people. Merchandising, where the real money from the Vader comes from. Exactly. Um, my number one, I'm actually really, really surprised, never showed up anywhere on your list because you and I both were big fans of this in college. Um, I will say, this villain from this show was responsible for its highest heights, but also inadvertently caused the show's lowest lows because... Oh, you're doing this? You're doing this to me? I know where you're going. Because after this villain, the show honestly never recovered because they peaked and then didn't figure out, oh, balls, 
where do we go from here? Because they really, really wrote themselves into a corner when they introduced every story needs a good old-fashioned villain. Andrew Scott's Moriarty from Sherlock. Oh my god. There has never been a more hypnotic villain to me going, I love Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock so much. He's the smartest guy in the room until Moriarty shows up. And with every scene they're in, you feel like there's this internal conversation happening between the two of them without a single word being spoken. Whether it's when Moriarty sits down, um, Sherlock offers him the chair on the left, Moriarty takes the chair on the right just to piss him off, and then Sherlock sees that Moriarty's right-handed, so he puts the cup on the left side, so it just kind of is a slight inconvenience to Moriarty. The first Sherlock episode I ever watched was the season two finale. I had never seen the show before, so I go into the season two finale going, holy crap, that's the best hour and a half I've ever seen of television. And Moriarty was a big reason why this guy was just magnetic. He was evil, but like smooth at the same time. But this villain, unlike others, at one point in the show... You're, follow, you're rooting for Sherlock. The show does such a good job with its villain that actually makes you second guess if everything you know about Sherlock is wrong because he finds Moriarty and Moriarty is an actor. And the way Andrew Scott portrays it, you actually think to yourself for a second, oh, c- crap, Was were we wrong about Sherlock? Is he actually the bad guy here? How is Moriarty doing this? But that's the problem with Sherlock. The season two finale is the best hour and a half of television I've ever seen. The show got nowhere even close to that ever again because Moriarty cannot be topped in the villain department. He is... I needed more of him. He... Sherlock holds a very special place in my heart. Not just the show, but the mythology. I loved mysteries as a kid. I read Sherlock Holmes all the time. And while he's not a perfect Moriarty, he's a perfect foil for this version of Sherlock. It just I could rave about him all day. Andrew Scott's Moriarty just knocked it out of the park. And I, I wanted more of him, but not how they gave it to us. Yeah, like, what's his line? You uh, never return my phone call. How, he's, how he reintroduces himself at the end of that. Or at the end of like the penultimate episode. Is uh, that right? No, that was... Um... You never, uh, yeah, you never heard turn my phone call was at the end of the season one finale when they're at the pool because oh. he gave him the oh, okay. his number in the season one finale when he uh, pretends to be gay to pick up his number. To yeah, mess with him. that's right. Yeah, like that was I think that was one of the best reveals. You want to talk about like the best like villain reveals? Uh, that's a very niche topic. I still remember that. Like, oh my gosh! I mean, if you didn't know anything about the casting beforehand, James Moriarty. Hi. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, worthy, worthy champion, worthy number one. Uh, I have you to thank for the show. And in fact, my parents, they whoop, loved whoop. it. I, I, I got to watch it twice. And isn't it fun when you get to show people for the first time another, another show and you get to kind of live through through that first experience, like their first reactions and, and yep. their questions and their comments like, oh, I can't wait for the next episode. So And then yeah, tell people, uh, stop watching after season two. Just trust yep. me. You know you want answers, but just stop. But even, I guess, lackluster Sherlock is still better than most of the stuff out there. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah, it's it's worthy. It's worthy watch. So, hey, wonderful done, man. Like, this was 
this is a great, great topic. Like I, I think, I think the way, I think the, this topic selection as of late's been been fantastic. So thanks for the fun tonight. This was great. Oh yeah, I always, always love talking villains. They're just my favorite because there's something about them that just make them drawn to them. Um, but yeah, what are some of your favorite villains? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, YouTube, uh, Google Podcast. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media because especially this Friday when we drop that Pitching a Nightwing uh, movie, I think you guys will really, really dig what I've got in store for you guys. Um, that being said, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.